Lord Jesus, there is so much that clouds our vision of you. There is so much that takes our attention away. Lord, there is so much in us that means we should have no claim to your kindness. And yet you're the same Lord who all those years ago opened the eyes of Bartimaeus as he came saying, Lord, have mercy, I want to see. So Lord, that is what we're asking even this afternoon. We want to see you. We want you to open the eyes of our hearts that we might know the hope that we have in you. So open our eyes, Lord, we pray. Amen. Do take a seat. Uh, as I said, it is a real joy, so thank you very much for having me. Um, we're going to read from the book of Revelation. We've already heard. It was a, it's, the whole book is a, is a vision, a vision of the future that the Apostle John was given. So if you want to turn to right at the back of your Bible, last couple of pages, uh, in these church Bibles that I've got here, it's on page, let me see, uh, 1,250. We're going to read Revelation chapter 22, the first five verses. So I'm going to give a bit of a moment just as you turn to that. This is an amazing vision. Try, try and see this in your mind's eye as we read this. Revelation chapter 22, uh, page 1,250, Church Bibles. I'm going to read from verse 1. John says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing down from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing its 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Let me tell you about Mr. Panton who lives on the Surrey Lane Estate in Battersea on a, in a big tower block, 20-story tower block. Mr. Panton uh, is 87. He came over from, gener uh, from uh, Jamaica in the Windrush generation. So about 60 years ago, he, he worked as a lorry driver in London for decades. So, so the vast majority of his life, 60 years, he's been a Londoner. Uh, but if you ever speak to Mr. Panton, it is very, very clear. His heart has never left Jamaica. Uh, Mr. Panton, if you ever speak to him, he'll tell you about Jamaica's Blue Lagoon. I think it might be on the screen if we get it on the slides. Jamaica's Blue Lagoon, he'll tell you, it's the most beautiful place in the world. Uh, he'll wax lyrical to you about the, the sort of glistening turquoise sapphire water with sort of flying fish skipping around. He'll tell you about the banks of Golden Beach and the green luscious trees that sort of sway in the warm breeze. Uh, he'll tell you all about Duns River Falls. It's a, it's a sort of green mountain that erupts into a, a cascading stream and it widens out into pools and it crashes out into waterfalls. You can sort of uh, bathe in them or whatever as it gushes out its freshness into the sea. He'll, he'll tell you about the days that he and his friends used to be soaking all day or all afternoon in a, in a sea bath, as he calls them, just Jamaica's hot sun beaming onto their face. He'll tell you about the nights that he and his friends would sit out on his veranda, just for hours and hours, having a drink, sometimes 
talking, sometimes listening to reggae, sometimes just, just looking out at the moon and the stars as they shine. And Mr. Panton will tell you, when Jamaica's stars and moon are shining, you don't want to go to sleep. He'll tell you about the months that he used to uh, be there after he retired, six months of the year he used to go there. Uh, and you get the feeling whenever you listen to Mr. Panton that he would love to be back. Uh, being in Jamaica for Mr. Panton would basically be his happily ever after. That's from listening to him. But, but from seeing Mr. Panton now, you know he'll never go back again. Because right now he can't walk. He hasn't been able to get out of his flat for three years. Uh, his, his body is basically crippled all day, every day with sort of burning pain. He, he has sort of chronic, chronic arthritis. He's got cancer. And so you know that he won't be able to go back there again. He, he, he says sometimes as he sits in his flat, which is the only thing he can do, he'll sometimes look out the window and he'll see the sort of concrete mass of grey as tower blocks loom around him. And sometimes, occasionally, he'll see a bit of glinting sun through this grey and it will make him think back to Jamaica and he'll long to be back there. But, but you know by looking at him, he'll, he'll never be back. In fact, I just went to him just this Monday. I went to visit him and he was basically sort of curled up in the fetal position, uh, sort of barely able even to look at me. He wasn't able to lift up his head again. So even if he was able to go back, it wouldn't be as happily ever after. And I think that sort of story, it kind of sums up what most of us have come to realize about happily ever afters is they don't happen. Uh, perhaps once upon a time we believe happily ever afters happen, but perhaps as we've grown older, more and more we realize they just don't happen, do they? Maybe we move to London for this city to be our happily ever after city. And it's a great city, but it's not a happily ever after city. We know that. Because happily ever afters don't happen, do they? Well, well, actually, they do. In fact, God's word for you and me today is just pulsing with this news that happily ever afters really, really do happen for you and for me. That it really is on offer for us. There, there is, through the Lord Jesus, being in, offered to us today, being held out to us today, a happily ever after. So we're going we're gonna to read through this passage. I'm not going to go through it sort of with sort of systematic points as I might normally, mainly because I, don't, I just don't want to lose the wonder of this, the sort of magic of, of this passage. So we're basically just going to walk through it uh, verse by verse uh, as we think about our happily ever after. Uh, we're going to get to, to our happily ever after, but, but we need to kind of see a bit more of the big Bible picture uh, because lots of this is drawing not not from the first couple, uh, first, last couple of pages of the Bible. Lots of it is drawing actually from the first couple of pages in, in the Bible. So, so what I'm going to do to start with is just take us to the first couple of pages. You don't need to turn there. As we think about what, what is being shown in these last couple. In Genesis 2, which is where humanity started. Uh, it, it, it's a story of the garden. And, it, and it's basically giving us a picture that humans were made, the world was made... Effectively, it should have been a happily ever after world. Uh, that there was this beautiful garden where God, the living God who lovingly made his people and put them in this garden, he, he made it to be a world where he would walk with his people in the cool of the day. That there was a river right in the middle of this city, or this garden rather, snaking its way through, bringing life, bringing fruitfulness wherever it went. That there was a tree of life right in the centre and this tree was just emanating with God's goodness, God's life, which means if you came and ate from this tree, you'd live forever. 
It was paradise on earth. It was meant to be a happily ever after. But humans wanted more. So they took fruit from the wrong tree. And the happily ever after world became a living nightmare. All of a sudden there was a curse on the world. Everything was now hard. The, the, the ground was bringing about thorns and thistles. Work was, was back-breaking. People would, would have trouble having kids. There was family breakdown, relationship breakdown. Instead, instead of happily ever after, now people were going to die. And that's how our world has been since then. It's not a happily ever after world. It's a world under a, a curse. That's what happens when you turn away from the God of happily ever afters, but even from that point in the garden, God had a plan. This God of happily ever afters had a plan that he would bring his people back to it. So even though man tried to become like God as rebels, God had a plan to become as man as their saviour. So God the Son was whispered about, whispered about through generations. Then his Son came, Jesus came to live perfectly lived perfectly but then died taking our curse on the cross as our sacrificial lamb he died he was buried he rose again and that man of sorrows has now risen to a happily ever after and the amazing news that the bible is just holding out to everyone is that that happily ever after through jesus is now on offer to me and you and anyone who'd come to him because right now the world is is a cursed world but, but God is actually going to do what he did with his son, the Lord Jesus. He's going to do it, in a sense, we might say, with the world. The world is one day, in a sense, going to die and rise again. There is going to be a better world. Right now, if Christians die, you, you go to be with Jesus and it's far better. But that's not where you'll stay. Because God is making it a new world. That's what Revelation 22 is all about. That's where Christians will be forever. You won't be floating around on the clouds with babies shooting things at each other and harps and whatever it's, it's not a spiritual world it's a physical world it's where you're going to run and jump and dance and sing and eat and so Revelation 20, 20, uh, 22 is just for a few verses telling us about our happily ever after world so we're just going to see this now uh, it's no longer merely a garden as it was in the start it's now a city because humanity has come and civilization has come but it's like a garden city so if you're writing any notes, this is what we'll just walk through as we think about the garden city, happily ever after, if you've come through the Lord Jesus. Let me read again. Verse 1 is our first glimpse of our happily ever after world. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Mr. Pantone tells you about this sort of sapphire, turquoise, blue of Jamaica's Blue Lagoon. But, but this is saying actually there is something better. That there is the throne of God. And flowing down from this throne is this, this blue, this, this river, which is so blue you just lose yourself in it. It's like a jewel, so crystal. And it's the river of life. It was there in the Garden of Eden and we lost it. It was promised again in Ezekiel 47, and now it's here. If you've come through the Lord Jesus, you're going to wade in the river of life. And that river, it's flowing. It's flowing down from uh, the throne. Verse 2, it says, it's down the middle of the great street of the city. That's a golden street, by the way. We don't have talk, time to talk about that, but it's in Revelation 21. Flowing down this golden street. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing its 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. 
in the Garden of Eden, we were cut off from the tree of life. Eternal life wasn't a thing now. You couldn't eat from this tree and live forever again. But, but this is saying, it's going to come back for me and you. And it's going to be this tree which is so pulsing with God's goodness, with his life, that anyone can come and eat this fruit and live forever. But, but it, there are leaves. There are leaves that you can come to. And as you embalm yourself with these leaves, all your physical pain, all your emotional pain, all your psychological wounds, all of that, as soon as you touch these leaves, it's gone forever. And that's worth us saying, because in this place, there'll be all sorts of pain. In this church this afternoon, there'll be clouds that are not lifting. There'll be January blues. There'll be chronic health conditions. And this is saying, when you come to this tree of life, you will never have a migraine again. You'll never have backache again. You'll never hear of anyone getting cancer again. You will never have diabetes again. But more than that, you'll come to this tree and those deep psychological wounds you have will be gone forever. The, the anxiety and depression will be lifted forever. The, the insomnia the PTSD, all of it, all of it that has been lurking and perhaps has just been like a cloud that has just been sitting on you maybe for months, maybe for years. That cloud will be forever lifted because the leaves of this tree are for the healing of the nations. Verse three says, no longer will there be any curse since that first garden. It hasn't just been us who've been hurting. Our whole world has been hurting. Our world has been groaning. And so Christian writers throughout history have kind of searched for ways that they can show that. C.S. Lewis in his Narnia books, he's, he de depicted this curse as, as like a world where it's forever winter and never Christmas. There is life, but it's kind of frozen over. It's, it needs thawing. And that's our world. There is a curse but after winter, when Aslan comes, there is spring. And again, if you've read Lord of the Rings, some might have done. Tolkien talks about it as well. He, he, he talks about it after there is this last battle. And there's this guy, Sam, and he meets Gandalf. And Sam says this. He says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Listen to this. He says, is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? And Gandalf says, a great shadow has departed. And brothers and sisters, that is what the Bible is saying is going to come for me and you. Forever winter, never Christmas is no more. Everything sad is going to come untrue. This great shadow that is over our world is going to depart, which means there's no more hardship or hurricanes. There's no more polio or pollution. Everything that makes life hard from our world is going to be gone. No longer will there be any curse and we see next, what is at the center in verse three? What is at the center of this garden city? It's the throne. It's the throne of God and of the lamb. That is what is gonna be in the city. And his servants will serve him. There is a Lord in this garden city, right at the center. And those who've served him in this life, that means Christians, those who've served the Lord Jesus in this life, they're gonna be here in this city and then the next couple of verses basically tell us a bit about what is going to be going on for us in this garden city before this Lord. We'll see it just briefly. We'll be seeing, we'll be belonging, we'll be reigning. Firstly, seeing. Because verse 4 says, they will see his face. 
But right now, we don't see him. No one has ever seen him in this room, not properly. Uh, We didn't see him when he was born in a manger. We didn't see him grow up. We didn't see him as he was feeding the 5,000 and healing the sick and raising the dead and receiving broken people to himself after offering forgiveness. We didn't see him nailed on the cross. We didn't see him buried and rose again. Uh, Other people saw him. We didn't see him. Right now for us, it's a life of trusting his word. It's a life of believing. It's a life of holding on, sometimes in the dark. But this is saying, after a life of holding on in the dark, of praying, of trusting, you are going to see his face. You're going to see the face of the one the Bible says his love is better than life. Imagine that, seeing him. And you'll be belonging. Because verse 4 says, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. When it says that, I think it is symbolic language, not all going to have matching forehead tattoos, sort of embarrassing but, but a symbolic language saying, right now you might not be the sort of person who, who was picked for the team. You might not be the sort of person right now who, who gets a second date or even a first date. Right now you might be a sort of outsider on the edges of things, not really feeling like you belong anywhere, not really feeling like you're at home. Social situations make you feel like you're not welcome. But, but, but this is saying, when it says the Lord will, will write his name on your forehead as, as symbolic language. It's saying, do you remember at school when someone broke their arm and you got a cast on your arm and everyone would sort of flock to it and write all things over it and it's often sort of rude stuff or rude words, sort of whatever. But, but, but someone wouldn't write rude stuff because often if they had a boyfriend or girlfriend, that person would have this, this person's name emblazoned on their arm, so-and-so loves whoever that broken arm person is. And that was kind of a way of sort of claiming them, sort of publicly claiming them, publicly saying, this person belongs to me, declaring their endless love for them. Well, that normally lasted about two weeks. But, but, but this is saying, when it says Christ's name is going to be on your forehead, again, it's symbolic language, but it's saying, even if right now you're not the sort of person who belongs, even if right now you're on the edge of the things, you don't get the second date or the first date, it's saying, When you come to this garden city, if you belong to Jesus, he is going to so publicly make it known that that you are going to be publicly shown to belong not just to the city, but to him. It's Christ himself who is going to publicly say, you belong to me, my endless love is upon you, and I want everyone to know about it. You're going to be seeing Jesus, and you're going to be belonging in this place. No longer an outsider, now at home, now belonging. Seeing, believing, and thirdly, reigning. Because this says, verse 5, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. So our our glorious Lord will, will be shining brighter than a thousand suns. But, but it says here, in a sense, he's not the only one reigning, which kind of sounds weird, but it's saying they will reign, Christians will reign. Well, what is that about? If anyone's seen Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, remember that one? A few people maybe. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, why, do, why does Charlie get invited, or why does Willy Wonka invite them into this magical world? There's this amazing mystical world where they're sort of, sort of what is it, rivers of chocolate and hills of sweetness around every corner, there's a new sort of room of goodness to enjoy. 
they're invited in to enjoy it, but they're also invited in, in a sense, so that Willy Wonka can have an heir, so he can have someone who he can sort of give this to. And in a sense, that's what the Bible is saying. Romans 8 said, if we've suffered with Christ, we'll also we'll reign with him. Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. This is what Revelation is saying. We'll be there to enjoy it, enjoy the goodness around every corner of this garden city. We'll be reigning there somehow. And we'll reign, it says, forever and ever. There is no end. There is no goodbye. There are no curtains that are drawn. And that is... Uh, happily ever after, the Garden City. Mr. Panton won't have his happily ever after in Jamaica. Uh, he knows that now. But, but actually, he, he does have a happily ever after. Because after years and years, or a whole lifetime of what he would say was living as a, a bad life, after months and months of him saying, I don't want to repent, not, not yet. About last summer, Mr. Panton said after hearing this message of Jesus, he, he, he went in his room sat in his room, he said he, he repented, he turned to God. And you know, it's the most awesome thing because now this man who can't get out of his flat, who, who, whose whole body is racked with pain, every day is hard. Well, he's now got this, on his wall, he's got a, a picture of a waterfall. It's from Jamaica. And yet he'll say now, nowadays, he, he doesn't just look at that waterfall and think of Jamaica looking back. He now looks at the waterfall and thinks of this passage. It's his favorite passage. He looks at this waterfall and thinks, the river of the water of life is what I'm heading to. Because he knows through the Lord Jesus, he has this happily ever after. Isn't that awesome? When I read this passage, I just so want to be there. And I imagine lots of us do. We want to know we're going to be there. How could we know? How could we have this guarantee? Do you know the clue in this passage is how it calls Jesus? Jesus doesn't didn't say his name, does it? It doesn't mention Jesus' name, but he is in there. But it doesn't call him the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. It could do. could call him the Holy and Righteous One. It doesn't call him that. could call him the Son of God, the Word of God, any of these things. It doesn't call him that. Do you see what it calls him? It calls him the Lamb. Verse 1, flowing down from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Verse 3 throne of God and of the Lamb. Why on earth would it call the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lamb? Because in the Bible, the lambs are what gets, what gets killed. Lambs are sacrificial offerings, and that's the whole point, isn't it? In the Bible, lambs are a ransom payment. In the Bible, lambs mean you're paid for. And that's what this is saying. Lambs mean you're paid for. Think about this with me. Just briefly, there is a friend of mine, another friend in Battersea, I'll change this guy's name, we'll call him Pete. And uh, Pete uh, has been crippled for about 50 years with, with heroin addiction, uh, cocaine addiction. Um, it is tragic, and, and I don't say any of this lightly at all. Uh, he, he, his mind is, is sort of ruined now by, by decades and decades of, of this drug abuse, which effectively means... His every day is gripped with sort of paranoia, sort of chronic, chronic paranoia. Uh, and how that played out a few months ago, he, he was in a conversation, I was watching this conversation with, with a Christian friend of his. Um, he had, uh, Peter had, had sort of run out of his phone bill, he had no money to pay his phone bill. And he was very worried, he was getting letters saying he's going to be cut off or whatever. And so he came to this Christian, this Christian sort of 
paid it for him, rang the phone company up, paid it for him, gave Peter a bit of extra money so that he'd have a few quid to live off for the rest of that week. So, so job done, payment made. The problem for Pete was, with this paranoia, he didn't believe it. So there was this sort of back and forth between these two where, where the Christian had said, Peter, it's, I've done, it's paid for, I've got the receipts, it's texted through on my phone. And Pete would say, but, but how do I know? And the Christian would say, Pete, I've, I've paid for you. I, I literally just was on the phone, I paid for you. And Pete would then say, but, but how do I know I'm not going to be charged? How do I know this? And, and, and the Christian would say, well, well I've I've got the message that you can see the receipt on my phone. And yet in this paranoia, he, Pete was just going back and forth saying, but am I going to get cut off? Am I going to be charged? Can you check again? And again and again, the Christian was saying, and he started hearing how this was sounding, I think, because he started saying, look, Pete, you don't have to pay anything because I've paid everything. There's nothing left for you to pay because I've paid it all. It's finished. It's done. You owe nothing. I've paid everything. And I was sitting there thinking, that sounds exactly like me before God. Because I know my sin, just like lots of you will. And I know every day my heart is belching out rubbish. And every day there are these temptations, and we know God knows that. And we know our past. We know the ways we've massively sinned against God. We know the ways we've massively broken his rules. We've turned from him. We know those things. And so here's what our hearts can be like before God. We can think, well, I don't deserve this. Of course, we don't deserve this. But do you know what this is saying? If you've got Jesus as your lamb, lamb means payment has been made. So then, when our hearts are saying, well, what hope do I have? When our hearts are saying, but look at all this sin in me. When our hearts are saying, but look at what I've done in my past. Here's what you can do this week. You can hear the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the lamb who came to take away the sins of the world. You can hear the Lord Jesus saying, there is nothing left for you to pay because I've paid it all. See him on that cross. As he's on that cross, he is the Lamb of God who is taking away the sins of whoever would come to him. He is paying on that cross for happily ever after for you. Payment was made. He died. He was buried. He rose again from the dead, which means if you're someone now, even if you know your sin, your heart, your past, you can look to Jesus Christ and say, I have a lamb. Payment has been made for me. I'm going to be in this city. What an awesome gospel. And what an awesome hope that you and I can know happily ever after. We'll think briefly about two ways. This, two things this means for us this week. There might be a slide coming up with the first one. Because if we get this news this year, this will transform your year and transform my year if this sinks down deep. So here's the first way. And I guess it's, well, it's, it's hopefully self-explanatory, but it, what we're saying is, happily ever after, if you've come to the Lamb, well, it is coming so you have hope. Uh, we are in this place and in this building today. There, there will be all sorts of dark clouds hanging over our minds, over our lives, over what we're thinking about this coming few weeks or months. There will be dark clouds. There's going to be January blues in this place. I mean, write your own into this. 
There's all sorts of clouds. But, but, but think about this for a moment. I, uh, when I was a kid, I, I loved fiction, loved storybooks. Uh, Harry Potter, I read one to seven and then would start back again at number one. I mean, it wasn't very cool, but that's what I did. Um, one to seven, start back. When I was starting a new book or, or reading a new book rather than sort of fourth time you read Harry Potter or whatever, um, I would get really into the story. So it would sort of grip my life what was going on in this story to the extent where when there was some sort of messy situation, I don't know, Ron has got into some mess, some sticky situation, um, my life would be consumed with, what's going to happen to Ron? So, so here's what I did when my life was getting gripped by this and I was worried, oh, I, can't, I can't rest when Ron's in this situation. So what I'd do is I'd cheat. I'd flick to the back of Harry Potter, last couple of pages. And what you'd do if you could flick to the last couple of pages, you could kind of skim over them. And if you saw Ron's name, you'd know it's going to be Okay. <laughs> Because whatever sticky situation Ron is in in this moment, I know it ends all right for him because he's on the last couple of pages having a chat with Harry or whatever it is. So once you'd seen his name on the last couple of pages, you'd get back into the story and you'd still weave through the whole contours of Ron's story, but you could do it knowing it's okay, Tom. Deep breath, he's going to be all right. He's on the last couple of pages. Now, brothers and sisters, do you see what you and I can do this year? Do you see what you and I can do when that dark cloud is hanging over you? Or that January blues doesn't seem to be lifting or whatever it is, whatever sticky situation or mess you're going through. You can turn to the last couple of pages of this book. And you can know whatever sticky situation you are in, whatever cloud is not lifting, flick to the last couple of pages And no, your story ends in a happily ever after. Do you see the hope that's going to give you in January and March and September? If you you just get to that point where you flick to the last couple of pages. And no, it really, really will end all right for you. In fact, it won't end because you'll reign forever and ever. Do you see the hope we can have? It is coming So in this city, you have the certain hope of that city through the Lord Jesus. It's the first way that we hope and pray this will permeate into our hearts this year. Secondly, lastly, your happily ever after is coming, but it's not yet. Uh, By which I mean, if you have a happily ever after guaranteed to you here and now, that means you don't have to have the pursuit or the pressure or whatever this might impact on you. You don't have to try and make this life your happily ever after. Here's what I mean by that. I, I spoke to a great, wonderful Christian couple a while ago. They're not in London, not in our church. Uh, but they're, they're coming towards retirement. And, and what they were basically saying is that we've, we've worked very hard. And I'm sure they have worked very hard. That They've had a hard life. They've worked, honestly worked hardly. So they were basically saying, here's what we're going to do now. We're going to travel the world. We're going to rest, take Life easy. We've done the hard yakka. Now we've got rest, travels, happiness. And of course, there are different seasons of life. But, but the, the slight danger with that sort of thing is it's kind of like trying to make happily ever after now. Do you see that? Do you, do you see the way that London is always trying to push on us? You can have happily ever after. I came over here on the bus. Do you know how many adverts there are on the bus to visit 
Taiwan or visit Malaysia or visit the Bahamas. And, and all the time it's trying to say, you can either have your happily ever after here, or, and this is where most of your friends will be trying to live in London, you can have your happily ever after stored up for retirement. 50, 60, move out somewhere. Make your whole life move towards that happily ever after for 10, 20 years. Now, if we're honest, lots of us know it doesn't often work like that, does it? But, but do you see what this is saying? I mean, I'd love to travel the world. Lots of, we'd, we'd love to, and it's a place for holiday, of course. But, but this is saying, if we know our happily ever after is coming, if you know you're not going to miss out, because you've got a garden city coming, if you know that, well, then you can live your life as a Christian. Not living the happily ever after dream that everyone else is going after. You can live your life as a Christian. You can live serving, sacrificing, going without, pouring your life into a place that does not look like happily ever after, or pouring yourself into Christian ministry, Christian living that is not at all how your friends will be living. But you can do that because really you're not missing out because your happily ever after is coming. Do you see how knowing this hope can change how we live, can change what we pursue? Because we're not missing out. We've got the garden city. Brothers and sisters, through the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be wading through the river of life. You're going to be embalmed with the tree that is for the healing of the nations. You're going to be before the Lamb whose love is better than life. So we have hope in this city, of that city. We have this happily ever after guarantee. Isn't that awesome? Let's pray together now. This sinks into our hearts. I'm going to leave a moment just to pause. Um, and perhaps there might be some truth here that, that you'd love to pray, Lord, help me believe this this year. Perhaps there's some area of your life or a situation, sticky situation perhaps, where you pray, Lord, I believe this Revelation 22. Help my unbelief. Lord, press this in. Give a moment just to think about that. Bring that before the Lord and then I'm going to lead us in prayer. Our great God and Father, we are coming to this new year in lots of different places. There will be clouds. There is this awesome truth you've held out for us today. Father, we know we don't deserve any of this. We know that we have not earned it and we won't be able to this year. But Father, we praise you and thank you that in your love for us, you've given us a lamb. You've given us the Lord Jesus Christ who says, payment has been made for you. 
His wounds have paid our ransom so that anyone who looks to him even today, even now, can know happily ever after is mine. Not for now, but it will be one day. Father, we we struggle to believe this. Uh, We pray, please, give us hearts that would believe in your son, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we might know what is the hope you have called us to in Christ. And so we pray, Father, that we would be as churches, a countercultural people, a hopeful people. And we would be countercultural in the way that we know we, we don't have to make this life happily ever after. We'd be Christians, we'd be serving, we'd be going out, uh, going without, denying ourselves, loving others, loving the lost to get this message out there. Father, fill us with this hope and send us out with this news of the Lamb, we pray. In his name, amen.